What was the relationship like with your dad? This podcast, Military Veteran Dad, is brought to you by the Business of Fatherhood, an effort by me to help you become a better dad. By helping dads create a lasting feeling of change on the inside, help them grow through generational trauma, and by redefining the definition of living. There is more to life than being alive. Find out more information about this, head on over to bencloy.com or check out the Business of Fatherhood podcast on any and all platforms. Dory 1, this is Fireteam Delta. Dad's coming home. Welcome to the Military Veteran Dad Podcast, where it is our mission to bring every dad home. I am your host, Ben Colloy. I'm a United States Marine veteran, husband, and a father. We will bring authentic conversations to inspire action in your life so we can close the gap between the dad you are today and the dad you want to be tomorrow. This is the Military Veteran Dad Podcast. Today on the show, I have a very good guest, Richard Kaufman. Richard Kaufman first enlisted in the Army in 1986 and signed up to be a tanker, but shortly reclassified himself to be a cavalry scout. And Richard has an incredible story. He just recently published an ebook on Amazon where he told those stories uh, all the way back from when we first joined to now. And there's some really heart wrenching stories. So instead of me talking about his introduction, I'm going to get, let him dive right into it. Richard, thank you for coming on the show today. Thank you for having me, and um, I'm really appreciative and grateful that you had me on today. I don't know how I'm going to follow up uh, an interview with Stephen Kuhn, but I'm going to I'm going to try. Oh, no pressure. See, no, right, no pressure, Richard. Go ahead and tell me a little bit about yourself and uh, what makes your story so fascinating. Um, well, I, in my opinion, it's not fascinating. It's not it's fascinating. Just, it's just my life, you know. Um, I, there's three parts to my story, actually. Um, I grew up single, a uh, very poor, uh, single mom, dad hauled ass at like three. Uh, I'm just going to give you the quick down and dirty. Um, I went to like 10 or 11 different schools by the age of 12. Uh, I was a full-blown alcoholic by the age of 13. Quit school at 16. Um, became an emancipated minor, which means that I was an adult at 16. And I joined the military. And I shipped out like a week after my, my 17th birthday joined joined the military army was in there for two years I liked the army they didn't like me I became a full-blown alcoholic and drug addict in the military and they booted me out after two years for um oh I forget what it was it's was, it was just for non-conforming and then I got out I moved back home but you know after being away for two years partying, hanging out, you know, staying up for weeks at a time, you know, tell my mom and dad, tell me I got to go to bed at like 11 o'clock, you know, it wasn't happening. Mm-hmm. So they booted, they booted my ass out. Uh, and that be, that's become a thing in my life, getting booted out of a lot of places. So I lived in a crack house for a while and I had a job and everything, but my habit was so bad. I don't know if you've ever talked to a drug addict, but for somebody that gets kicked out of a crack house, that's pretty bad, you know. Yeah, almost you a good point to a joke. Like I feel like yeah, that's gotta, a crack yeah, addict exactly. joke. <laughs> you got to like, be at the bottom of the barrel to get kicked out of a crack house. Yeah. Uh, so I lived in my car for about probably about maybe a year somewhere around there. I told my mom I'm going going back to school, so she allowed me back in the house. At this time, I'm still an alcoholic. So guess what? I go to school to be a bartender. Smart, right? My friend owned a bar in New Jersey, and he hired me on January, New Year's Eve, 
1989. Get to work. Um, everything is going good. The booze is going good. You know, customers are happy. Um, let next thing you know, I wake up the next day with like five or eight thousand dollars cash in my pocket, and there's a knocking on the door, and it's the police. I robbed the place, and um, the gentleman gave me a chance to get the money back because I gave away like six hundred to a thousand dollars worth of free drinks away, plus I took the cash. So I'm looking at maybe five to seven years in prison, and he said, "I'm gonna if you get the money back to me." And you have to go to AA, 90 meetings in 90 days, and you got to sign everything. And you won't go to jail. So back then, I was too pretty to go to jail. So um, I hit like something stupid, like 350 meetings in a row. And I haven't had a drug or a drink since 1989. But I was still an asshole. So... I joined the mil back in the mil military again. I thought I was going to like it again, and which I really did. I, I loved it. But I still had that dry drunk attitude that I knew everything and I was still a wise ass. Mm -hmm. So um, I moved to South Carolina, Pennsylvania, then South Carolina. And I stayed in for a while. I was about to be thrown out again for the second time at the end of uh, September of 2001. And then uh, since I, we moved originally from New Jersey, I knew people that were in the, the towers. And uh, on the, that morning of 9-11, I was getting ready for work. And um, I, was, I found out everything. I'm watching it on TV. And something inside broke me. And uh, I broke down and I crumbled into the couch. And uh, it really, something really broke inside me. And I think that was God working on me. And uh, I knew that at that moment that something changed in my life. And uh, I vowed to God and to myself that if the military allowed me to stay back in, I would dedicate the rest of my career to the people we lost on 9-11. So I had to go next, the next, next day or two to beg my company commander to keep me. Thank God they did. And uh, I stayed in and I excelled. I became a soldier of the year within two years. Um, I became a, a, a non-commissioned officer, which I still live by the NCO creed to this day. Um, so I stayed in, now this is the last part of my story. Um, I stayed in and then I moved back to New Jersey and I was getting ready to go on my first annual training with the National Guard here. And I was backing up a Humvee and instead of him hitting the brakes, he hit the gas and ran over the whole right side of my body, ran over my head. And uh, I lost vision in my left eye. And um, the military told me, you know, if you can't see, you know, we can't, you can't shoot. So they put me out within like a year or two. So not only did I lose my career, I lost my vision. And I got into a deep, dark depression and then I decided, you know what, I've come back from drug addiction, alcoholism, homelessness. I can come back from this. So I started working my way back and coming back from uh, blindness. It took me about a year or two, but now that's, here I'm, that's where I'm at now, where I'm helping people get through the stuff, you know, help people come back. Because everybody loves a comeback story. Mm -hmm. you know, and, and everybody has that ability to come back. Sometimes they just need that. 
well, if he, you know, if he got through it, I can get through it. And that's what I'm focusing on now is helping people that are dealing with, you know, drug addiction, alcoholism, homelessness, um, physical problems, divorce, anything that they're going through in, in their life. I'm, tr I'm there to help them get through that stuff. And that's the three parts of my story. A lot of people say it's crazy that I've been through all that, but I just think it's my life. You know, it's, it's mm -hmm. not nothing, nothing great. It's just my life. Well, that is even better than in the book and the article that I was reading about you as well before this interview. Uh, it's even touches my heart even more when to hear it in real person or real life. The part that I've heard it said, and essentially it's kind of what you're at now, that a lot of times you can read something, you can hear a speaker and you can get really motivated or you can go to an event and feel like, man, I'm on top of the world. I can do this. But then you come back home and, and it's, it's just the excitement fades away. And there was a, a shift that happened in my head when I went to one of these events because I had the same feeling. And I realized that other people can inspire you, but and only until you become the hero of your own story can you really move through whatever you're trying to move through. Like yeah. there's no amount of anything that someone else can do to get you to go through your own shit. But you really, when you realize whatever you're going through has a purpose, as a reason that you're going through all this, because now you know what that look like, look is on someone's face. You know, when they're lying about being a drug addict and now you can help people up. Yeah. Um, I told myself something, uh, I was always picked on in high school and I picked, and there was something I, I blogged to myself about that I was like, people pushed you down early in life, so later you could pull people up. And, I agree. Yeah, I totally agree. And that's in a lot of your cases. You went through a lot of hell, but now you can pull people up like nobody's business. Well, and this whole thing started with the whole book and the podcasting, everything. Um, another part of my story that you know a lot of people don't know that you know I've been in the health and fitness industry for over thirty years now. And I have clients right now that are in the NFL, Major League Baseball, WWE. And I was getting interviewed by Donnie Boyvin on his podcast, The Success Champions. And we started talking about what I'm doing with my life, you know, now. And then I started telling him my backstory. And he's like, dude, that's what people need to hear is your backstory. He says, because there's so many people in the health and fitness industry. But how many people are actually trying to help people just make it and not want to commit suicide? Mm -hmm. And so that's when I just started doubling down on, you know, getting on podcasts, um, hopefully one day being a TEDx, TEDx speaker, uh, the book, because um, most people don't realize on average and worldwide, every 10 seconds, a person commits suicide worldwide, every 10 seconds. And in the United States, it's 35 first responders a day that commit suicide, including veterans. So if I can get the word out there and save one life, then, then that, that's my goal is to save lives. It's not about money. You know, it's not about, I'm not that guy that's out there to touch your wallet. I'm not there to touch your heart. That was one of my missions when I first started the military veteran dad that I looked at that 22 veterans that killed themselves number. And I think often some of the, the fault that the organizations try to do is they try to save all 22 at once. And everyone is a different type of person. Everyone each individual person could be like you. Another person could be someone completely opposite of you. And each one needs a different conversation. So I focused on the military veteran dad and yeah. that's the particular one that I'm trying to save and bring home. And um, I think by going deep within that one person, hopefully I'll be able to touch more 
Yeah, like I was talking, I went, because I speak at rehabs also. I went to a rehab in last week, and I was talking to somebody. And what I do is when I, at the end of the uh, talk, you know, end, end of my talk, I actually go up and hug each and every person that's in the room. And they're like, one person told, one kid told me, he was 19 years old. He's like, you know, I've never been hugged. He's like, just that one little thing touched my heart and makes me want to stay clean. So if I can touch a person's heart, it's all worth it. You know, it's all about like when I go talk to people, even if it's going to be on a TEDx stage or whatever, I just want to be able to touch people's hearts, you know, because people always don't half the people won't remember what you said, but they'll remember how you made them feel. Yeah. And if that hug is sometimes the first time that they've ever felt affection from someone in their life. Um, I went to a dad's conference last spring and I came out with the, with the nickname of the best hugger. There you go. <laughs> and uh, a funny hugging story uh, to make one. Uh, I'm going on a podcast in February and he asked for, it's like a dad music podcast and he wanted my rapper name. I was like, I don't really have a rapper name. I'm a country guy. And it, I instantly came up with it. And I was like, big hugger B. Or yeah, Sir Hugs a lot. <laughs> Sir Hugs a lot's a good one as well. Cool. Yeah, but Big Hugger like I B, I was like, oh, it just kind of hit me randomly. But I'm so, always the like guy. When that... I was younger, I was never, I never had affection from anybody in my life. So as I got older, now within the last, you know, ten years, uh, I want to be that affectionate person. You know, I want to hug my kids, and I want to hug my wife. I want to hug my friends. You know, I just because I, I realize if I can get in your personal space, then I can help. If you don't let me in your personal space, I can't help at all. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> or they're not ready to be helped in that case. Exactly. Yeah. I've even read like a, a book that uh, just hugging your daughter. My daughter is six years old. Just giving them that affection from dad will prevent them from seeking it from someone else before they're yeah. ready. And that's that's funny because um, we have I have a six year old daughter too. She'll be seven uh, next month, and I know she gets sick of it because I'm always hugging her and kissing her. And I'm like, you know, I want you to remember that when I am gone, that your daddy loved you and always wanted to hug and kiss you. Yeah. If you don't yeah. give them that from, as the, as the male influence in their life, they will go out and find it. And it's like a, there's a 60% decrease in the chance of your daughter having sex by the age of 12, just yeah. by hugging them. Yep. So that's, that's my whole goal is, you know, cause like when I met Gary V last year and I said, you know, Gary, give me a couple nuggets of information, you know, something that'll help me. He said, you know what? He said, your legacy is always going to be more valuable than your currency. Mm -hmm. And my, my daughter is my legacy. Yep. I've off. I like that. that with the legacy is a uh, legacy is planting seeds in a garden that you don't get to see grow. Yep. That's why like my goal is to help a million, save a million lives, but I don't know how, you know, when you throw a pebble in, in a lake and it just has that ripple effect. So I don't know how who I'm saving, but hopefully I'm saving some. I've had a couple people uh, call me and say, you know, since I read your book, um, I checked into checked myself into rehab. So it's 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 doing it's doing its purpose. It's, it's yep. helping save lives. And someone has to go first. And there's a great power from someone going first and saying that it's okay to be you. Yep. So and, what kind of questions? World, I got, okay, we'll dive into we the got. question. So one thing I didn't get out of your book was I didn't get a lot of your family life. So when did your family life start? When did you start being a dad? Um, I, we, I, okay. That blonde haired girl that I talked about in the book, that's my beautiful wife. We met when we were high school sweethearts and I moved away, joined the military. 
And 20, 30 years later, um, we got back together again. And uh, we've been married, we've been together almost 10 years now. And we got a beautiful six-year-old daughter together. And that's when I really started to try to be the best, you know, after, you know, 10 years, I try to be the best husband, you know, the best father, the best friend. That's when I, my life started changing to uh, when I become a family man. No. So the first the question gr- I like to ask dads is when you hear the words come home, what does that mean to you? What do you mean? When you hear the words come home, when it says dad to come home, what does that mean to you? That means, um, first of all, I always make, want to make sure that my, my family is safe and secure. You know, like even before I go to bed, I always got to make sure everything's locked and secure. <laughs> and I did, and I just want to let, you know, when I'm home that, I'm present. You know, there's a difference, and I just I wrote an article on this, and it got published last week. There's a difference between being home and being present. Oh yeah, big difference. You know, there's a big difference because you could be home like like the old days. They used to show the father reading the newspaper or watching the TV and telling the kids to go away. You know, that's being there. It's not being present. So I'm trying to, I'm not great at it, but I'm trying to, when I'm home, to focus on, be present and be focusing on the family instead of on my phone or video games or playing guitar or anything like that. And I think many veterans and even active duty service members that either went to war or even didn't go to war, that coming home is the hardest step because sometimes they, they initially just don't even feel safe to open up around their family or maybe with their loved one. And that causes them just to be reserved in general. And I think they protect themselves from the one person or the the people in their life that needs them the most. And it's a big step for dads to take, but one I'm hoping with the podcast to help people come over, overcome it. And the biggest um, person that ha- always has my back is my wife. You know, my wife is my life. She's my life. And when I got blinded, we went to Disney on our honeymoon. And it was funny because like a couple weeks after I lost my vision, we're going on a honeymoon and in Disney where everybody's, there's so many people knocking into you. And my wife is, she always has my blind side. So I know that she's, you know, she's my wingman. You know, she's my, my, she always protects my blind side. And, and I'm it, very grateful for that. I like that. It's a good analogy and it really works in your case because of your, yeah. your blindness in that eye. It, yeah, it's literal, you know. Yeah. She literally has my, my blind side. I'm a big believer that kids spell love, T-I-M-E. What are some simple ways that you connect with your kids that doesn't cost a lot of money, but they remember two years well, later? Um, every Sunday, that's why we were in a little bit of a rush today. We have uh, father-daughter bowling, and we do that together. And on uh, the big thing is she likes to go to movies and I like to go to the movies. So every once in a while, like, we'll go to the movies and just have a movie night together. Or she likes to go to Burger King and have a dinner and then go play with the other kids. So that's kind of daddy time, you know? I went on a date night with my daughter last week and I was thinking, expecting like a Texas Roadhouse maybe that she'd want. And cause that's where my wife took my son on a date night, but no, she simply said subway. Okay. And I was like, I'm I'm down with that. (laughs) Yeah. And then we also, uh, every year we do a daddy daughter dance. 
So we got one. At, we just booked one for March, our first one at her school. So you know, I want to be there because like I and it's hard for me when I was coming, you know, coming up. You know, I never had that father, so it's hard for me to learn how to be a father without having one. So it's kind of like I, I'm learning on the fly, even though I'm learning, you know, every day. You have I'm trying to learn on the the fly because you know I'll be 50 at the end of the month, and I realize I'm not going to be here forever. And I want my want my daughter to know that you know her daddy did the best that he could. Probably leads us into our, our next question: What do you want your kids to remember you when they're at a at a bar, hopefully being responsible, and they're 30? What do you want them to tell them about dad to their friends? What's the well, story? Okay, here I, I got a little analogy that I always talk to on whenever I'm on a podcast. You know, when people ask me what you know what my legacy is. I had two uncles. Um, one, they both passed away. One was younger, but he was a Christian man. Everybody loved him. I had an older uncle that passed away. He was a family man, but he was like an average everyday Joe. And when my older uncle passed away, um, only the family was there. And um, when my younger uncle passed away, like he was a Christian man and everybody loved him. They had to have like two services. People were packed to come in and they were talking. People, so many people were giving eulogies. And when I'm sitting at my older uncle's funeral, I'm, I wondered that day, what kind of funeral am I going to have? Are people going to show up? Um, am I making a difference in this world? And then I decided, you know what? I want to be able to have, impact so many people that I have to have two and three services. I want people to show up just to make sure that I'm dead. You know, so that's what I want my kids to realize that my daddy affected this world in a positive way. He wasn't just an oxygen thief. Mm -hmm. And that's what, you know, I want people to come up and be like, you know what? Your dad saved my life. You know, or your dad saved my family. Your dad helped me through this or through that. Your dad opened car doors for me and stuff like that. Because every day I'm always looking to bless somebody somehow. I like that. And what's, I, I can relate to that to a lot because I would say even just five years ago, I didn't have a lot of friends in my life. Really I've never had a lot of more than maybe three or four friends that I would count as close. And through a couple of family members would pass and a lot of people would come out and I would just be like, will anybody even show up and say nice things? Like that mm -hmm. was, I had that fear in my head probably for three years. I remember watching the Jay Leno finale on tonight show and crying my eyes out at the time with all these people coming out and doing such just amazing things to return what he had done for them. And I'm like, mm -hmm. I want to be that guy that people just can't help but come out and say enough nice things. And um, I was really afraid that I was like, is anybody even going to know I'm gone? Yeah. So now you're making a difference. You're, you're, you know, you're, you're creating legacy. Yep. Completely different perspective than now than I had even just, few years ago with that idea and it really what I had for me my issue was I was always so afraid to talk to people like every person I was talking to was like the high school girl that was going to say no and I couldn't overcome that until I just said finally I'm, I'm done with it and so I just started talking to dads at the park where it was a little bit easier we already could relate on something and then I kind of got addicted to it so then now I, now I talk to people on airplanes I talk to people at the grocery store the airport I'm always trying to find out uh what's going on in someone's life. Cause um, 
I find like the, even the TSA agents, those are even when they, when they are getting paid, even when they're not getting paid, they're just as good, but um, making them feel better about themselves. They're always waking them reset. I've had a, I was going through customs in Chicago and uh, asked me how I was doing. And I was like, better than good. Cause that's my typical answer. And he usually jolts people out cause they're not expecting it. And then he's like, Oh, I'm not, that good. I, I knew he, he was taken off beat and he really probably was questioning what just happened for the next 10 minutes. But I always try to lift up people um, around me because everybody's having going through something that day. You never know if that's the one. I had a grocery lady say it back and she's like, you know what? I'm better than good too. Like yep. Some people just need the, a little extra. Yep. And that's why, that's why I'm here. You know, that's why I become the comeback coach, you know, because I, I actually help people realize because like when i usually do my my talks or my speeches i usually um especially if it's a kid or something like that eventually i want to give out eye patches and have them wear it through the, my whole speech and then take it off at the end of my speech and not let them know that i'm blind and because it'll give them a different perspective on how you know life is not that bad <laughs> you know mm -hmm. whatever you're going through is only a temporary situation that's why I tell, you know, I put on my post yesterday, uh, in my Facebook group that suicide is only, it, it's a permanent solution to a temporary problem. So, and, and that's why, you know, I believe that anybody can come back from anything if they just have the right person in their life to help them push them through it. I'm a big believer that part of the crisis is with, with even men committing suicide is that for 2000 years, we belong to a tribe. And mm -hmm. somehow in the last 200, we thought we could do it alone and more and more gradually and getting more exponentially quicker at trying to be an individual even more without that support network. But we were never meant to do life alone. Yep. It's true. Like even like in, in a, the programs of AA or NA, you know, yeah, they, doing say it together. That, yeah, they say that, you know, I get drunk, we stay sober. So it's also, you know, I was talking to somebody yesterday and I was like, I commit suicide but we stay alive, you know? So it becomes a we thing. And once people feel that they're a part of something again, cause like a lot of people, when they get out of the military, they lose that. They, they don't have their, I mean, they're not in touch with their brothers like they used to be able to do. Like when I was in, we would be able to just sit on the back of a tank at like 3 AM and sitting there bullshit and telling everybody about their life stories and helping each other out. And when you get out, you're kind of like, all right, what do I do now? I'm by myself. I'm alone again. Mm -hmm. So I, so I think that's a, a big problem to let people know that, you know, it's okay. You're never alone. In the Marine Corps that we used to have a saying that if you can't lift it, that means that you just didn't have enough Marines trying to do anything for our back or the VA claims after we get out. But if you couldn't lift it, it just means you had more people on it. I remember 15 people trying to lift things together. And I've equated that afterwards that if you, you were always meant to carry everything that happens to you alone, that if you don't, if you can't carry what you're going through in life, that just means you need more people helping you around you. Yep. That's why you need that tribe because you can lean on people and tell them what's going on. And just by getting it out of your head, you can feel lighter. Yep. <clears throat> There's so much of it is like an echo chamber in our head that if you keep talking to yourself over and over, you'll eventually commit, convince yourself there's only one way to stop the conversation. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, even like one of my um, mentors, Robert Garcia, the warrior strategist says, you know, that, you know, we all rise together. Mm -hmm. So we, again, the we, you know, 
So I think that's what I try to be. I try to be the sounding board for people that are struggling and to know that, you know, even if I can't help you, even if I just have an open ear and take the time to listen, it'll be okay. Cause then at least you can tell somebody about your hurts and not having to keep it inside all the time. And that's what the book was about. The book was about helping other people realizing, you know, if I went through it, you can get through it. You can get through anything. Everybody loves a comeback story. If Rocky didn't come back, then nobody would ever watch Rocky three. I liked, I heard a story of how Rocky got started. Like yeah. he pitched that for like 10 years, an yep. insane amount of tries and an insane amount of numbers. And he believed it so much that he just kept going. Like yep. the story of Rocky actually began long before the movies and it's the untold story, yep. but it's the, the one that makes it even that much better and why probably as an actor, Steven Stallone played it even better. Yep. And everybody has a story. They just have to, reach deep inside and decide if they want to let people know and let people in. I've, I like to think of it as the shadows that we spend a lot of mental energy keeping things in our shadows, but the moment you bring it into the light, it's just, if it's freeing, it's exposed. It's no longer something weighing you down. It's even just living a life of integrity is living, keeping all your stuff out of the shadows and into the light. Well, I kind of like, like to think of it like Superman, Superman, gets the energy from the sun and I get energy when it's from the sun and so much of what you get energy from when you bring it out of the shadows is also just bring it into the, to the light. It's all kind of like the same metaphor almost. Like when I was, I was talking to somebody early in on like the second or third podcast and they're like, have you ever seen the movie eight mile? I was like, yeah. He's like, I want you to watch it again. He said, I want you to watch the last scene where the guy puts all his dirty laundry out. And the other guy has nothing left to talk about him. He's like, that's what you're doing. He's like, you're putting all your stuff out in public. And then if somebody says, you know what, Rich, you were an alcoholic. Yeah, but I'm sober, but I'm clean. I got a beautiful wife. I got three beautiful children, a beautiful home. What can you say about me if I already put it out there? Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? And Because then when you don't care what people think about you anymore is when you're actually free. Yeah. And then, then you can even start running faster. It's like you're carrying a, uh, a pack on your back and all of those secrets, all of those stories are just burdens that slow you down and mentally just wear you out and prevent you from coming home because you're so exhausted mentally from trying to hide from what you, what is just your life story. Just like that when I was writing the book, cause I actually wrote it out by hand on a yellow pads and it was actually very cathartic because I, I actually got to see, you know, everything that's happened to me. Like one of my um, mentors is Ed Milet. And he, you know, we were talking back and forth. And he says, you know, Rich, nothing happens to you. It happens for you. Everything is a teachable moment. So whatever happened to you in your life, from this point on, it's going to be a teachable moment. And that's when I, when I wrote the book and I was just like, all right, this was the first 50 years now for the next 50, you know, like most people are talking about winding down at 50. I'm just yep. ramped up at 50. You know, mm -hmm. I'm excited. I'm pumped up about life. What was your scariest moment as a dad? The scariest moment. Um, probably the moment 
that I found out that we were pregnant. And it was funny because um, I actually ran out to Rite Aid and got <laughs> like two or three pregnancy tests just to make sure it was right. And then when I found out, um, I was driving home and one of the songs was from Creed. When we're in the beginning of the song, you can hear the baby's heartbeat. And that's just, the verse came out. Um, Am I the man that she really needs? And I, that's when I, the scariest part was thinking, am I going to be the father and the husband that my family actually needs? And that's when it really just hit me. It's like, dude, you, you need to step your game up. So that was, yeah, that, and I, and I was crying like a little girl in the car when I was listening to that song. It was a song called With, With Arms Wide Open. I, lo- I know that song. And just the beginning when I heard the heartbeat and I'm thinking like, man, you know, am I the man, just the words, am I the man that she needs me to be? And so that, that was probably the scariest, but the most life changing, I think. Did you struggle accepting that, um, that you deserve something so beautiful to come into your life as a child? Is that something you had to, cause like that maybe you maybe didn't think you deserved it because of what you went through at the time or anything like that? No, not at all. Um, not at all. I, I was just, I was just, you feel you fork, you know, cause like, like it's first, you're not supposed to tell anybody that you're pregnant, Yeah. but I told everybody that we're pregnant. I was so pumped up and excited. So I, I considered, but I was at, at that age, I was 43 years old, you know, 42 so I was old enough, older, but I actually could appreciate it more than instead of taking it for granted. You know, some people just have kids and pop them out like it's no big deal. Mm-hmm. And I was just feeling so blessed and honored that, you know, we're, we're having a baby. You know, and I'm going to be a, a, a like we have three kids total. So, you know, just being a being a father. But then like some guys, they get. You know, when the baby's born, oh, I don't want to change the diapers. I don't. Want, I was the first one to ever change my daughter's diaper, and I wanted to make sure that I was the first one. And I was in the room when we had the baby. You know, because mm-hmm. I wanted the I wanted the experience. I wanted to enjoy every minute of it because I know, at, at, you know, as I get older, I want to be able to appreciate every moment that I have with my family. You always hear that. Uh especially like my, my grandma or my parents or a lot of people in general is like, Oh, but this, they always go by so fast. And I always feel like that's just an excuse for just, and I'm not admitting that they weren't there. Like yeah. they didn't prioritize, they weren't present. Cause I think a lot, if you're there to spend time intentionally, well, it does go by fast. I don't think there's going to be any regret. Like even starting this podcast, I was never going to start the podcast to be strangers to the people I was creating it for. I went slower. I could have launched sooner, but I went at the speed that my family was going to be allow. And I was going, is going to be a dad that I was okay with being. And I wasn't going to sacrifice any of my success for my family. And well, like I've, um, I think I've missed maybe one doctor's appointment for all my kids in the last 10 years. I've driven my kids to school every morning. Um, I've had breakfast with my kids every morning. So it's kind of like, I want them to know that um, um, I was there. I was present, you know, like we were talking about before. Diving back into your story a little bit, 
what would what advice would you give other dads that maybe still have the asshole effect either in their marriage or in their in their career or just as in general that they, they've struggled to let that go i think that you know i grew up like i said i grew up uh with without a real father in my life and i i had step a couple step fathers and you know that's and i wanted to uh be the like I, I told a story in the book about how I got taken for 65,000 and, um, and that was from a step parent. And I wanted to be that when my kids think about their stepdad, cause I hate the word stepdad. I'm, I'm either, you're either a dad or you're not. You yeah. Know? And, uh, and I just wanted to think that, you know, because of everything that I went through, I wanted to be the opposite of what I went through. Where sometimes if a person has a, a great parents in their life, they'll do the opposite and become like total assholes, excuse my language. Um, so I wanted to do the total opposite. So if, you, if you're a parent right now that are you know, having those issues, it can change today. You, know, you don't have to, you can just, it, like if me and my, my sons, if either of us have, we, if I have an argument with either of them, I'll apologize to my kids and say, you know what, I'm sorry. I didn't mean it to come out that way. Cause I used to be a very belligerent person and I don't want to be that guy anymore. So I think once you decide what kind of guy you want to be, then you can start working towards it. And I think every parent struggles with kids will be kids and they'll push every red button you have. And I think every parent, including myself, has had that moment where they start yelling. But I've consciously always, at the end of the day, when I tuck them in, if I did do something that I don't believe was right, I will always apologize that I'm sorry I yelled, daddy maybe didn't have the best day at work or whatever excuse I had the moment that it wasn't right and I shouldn't have did that. I think maybe the first step starts with forgiving yourself for what you did because until you're ready to forgive yourself, you won't be able to move past it almost. Yeah. Well, that's the hardest thing. You're like, even when you're in a program, you, you know, you're doing like step four and step five to where you're, you write everything down you've ever done to anybody else, ask them for forgiveness, but then you forget to forgive yourself for stuff that you've done, mm -hmm. you know, and the hardest person to ever forgive is yourself. You know, like I'm a Christian. I, you know, I, I don't, I, I'm not ashamed to say it. But I often go back and ask God for forgiveness for stuff that I did 10 years ago. And he's already forgiven me already. And why am I keep on bringing it up? You know, because I, I haven't forgiven myself yet. And once you forgive yourself for stuff and you can be like, all right, I ain't going to do it anymore. I'm done. You know, um, and then you can finally move on when you've forgiven everybody in your life and you've forgiven yourself for stuff you've done. Now you just have to. You know, like you, like uh, Stephen says, you know, you got to try to live a life of honesty, integrity, and transparency. Sometimes it doesn't happen. You're not, you're never, you're never perfect. Mm -hmm. You know, and even like in the program, they talk about, you know, spiritual progression instead of spiritual perfection. And you have to say, "Hi, babe." That's my beautiful wife. She's my reading with my daughter for the guy. She got homework to do. But, you know, it's all about making progression because we're never going to be perfect. And I think a lot of guys or even girls, they forget that, you know, we're just people, you know, people are people and you're going to mess up and not to get too wrapped up, wrapped around the axle. 
And, and if you do make them like in my book, I wrote that when I got bailed out by my aunt and uncle, um, or else I would have went to jail. I didn't realize I found out later that my stepfather puts, put in some money also. I forgot to put that in the book because I didn't know. So I had to go apologize and, you know, make the right wrong. And then it's over. You know, cause you, you, so sometimes you just have to say, you know what, you know, like, like if me and you were friends and if I accidentally offended you, you know, I'll, I'll you know, call you and say, Ben, you know, I made a mistake. I'm sorry. You know what when, I mean? Yeah. When you have such a, di such a diverse background of a story, how do you consciously make sure that your kids fail forward and like I can imagine there's some fear where you don't want them to even come close to what you had but at the same time what you went through has made you who you are today do you mm -hmm. struggle with that sometimes like protecting them too much or maybe even just consciously letting them fail and knowing we're not have no idea where it's going to lead to well I'm kind of like I'm sorry I had to plug my phone and it was starting to get low um I want my kids to fail you know because that's the only way you're going to learn to win is if you fail, you know, if you live, your, like I tell my kids, if, you know, if we get a participation trophy, I don't want it. I didn't earn it. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So I want my kids to fail. You know, I want my kids to try everything. If you don't like it. Okay. It's great. You know, if you don't like playing guitar or playing music, at least you tried it. And I think a lot of parents are afraid of their kids failing. And, but that's how you become a winner is by failing, you know, mm -hmm. um, um, a lot of these people, they say, you know, they've lost like five or six different businesses before they finally hit on the one business that wins. So if you didn't lose the first six times, you would have never won on the seventh time. Mm -hmm. Even if you think so, of someone like Dave Ramsey, who was a millionaire and fell all the way down to rock bottom again. And now only after that second time, did he create the, the dynasty that is the, the Ramsey empire? Um, there's a story I heard in the by Tom Brokoff about the greatest generation that what the one thing that made them the greatest generation, which was the diversity and the, the suffering of the depression, they wished upon their kids not to have to go through that. But in reality, they wished to remove the one thing that made them the greatest generation. Mm -hmm. It's so much of like, we, we want our kids to not maybe have the harm or the hurt of what we had because we know what it felt like. But in reality, all of that shapes who we are and shapes us to where we are today. And so we always have to be conscious of how we control that because it does have an effect on them. Yep. And that was one of the reasons why I wanted to put the book out there. So even when I'm gone, you know, my daughter, and after she has kids, they can say, Look, check out grandpa's book. You know, tell him about what he went through and how much he loved me. And how much, you know, what he, he went through in his life just so we can have a good life. And that's, it, it's the beginning of creating a legacy. What advice would you give a dad looking to come home to his marriage? Um, I, I mean, I actually, I don't know if I even have it over. It's, I have a book that I go through. I read through it between about three or four times a year. It's called The Love There. And um, it's a great book. It's called A Love There. And there's a, there was a movie called Fireproof years ago. And uh, what it does, it takes you 40 days through how to 
divorce proof your marriage. And I, I think that if somebody's going through hard times, you know, in their marriage, I try to think of, am I the man that she needs and that she deserves? And if I work on me, then that's the best that I can do. And if I, you know, if I can work on me to be the best husband that I can be and provider and protector, then everything is going to work out in the end. Because a lot of people think when you marry somebody, you know, you're thinking about, well, what can I get, you know? But instead of, I think, you know, I try to anticipate my wife's needs. You know, I try to, I want her to think, you know, if something ever happens to me that, you know, he was the best husband that he could possibly be. So. Whenever I get lost in uh, any type of marriage conflict, there's, I, I kind of created a question to get myself out of it that at the end of the day, I'm the only person that I can control. And mm-hmm. the one way that I've always kind of walked through whatever we were going through was I, I, I try, I always try to refocus, like what have I yet to do myself to work on me? Because I can't control her. I can't do anything. I can beat it up until a dead horse. But all I can do at the end of the day is me. Mm-hmm. And uh, my wife has always reminded me that it's just, just do you. Yep. And like I said, you know, my wife, she know, and like I wrote in the book, she know, she knew me from when I was the wild child. When I was, you know, 17 years old, walking around in a towel, you know, drinking from a keg of beer and mooning a priest in front of the high school. She knew me from then, and now she knows me now as a grown man. I mean, I'm still acting stupid and um, childish as could be. But she, you know, she knew me at my worst points, and now hopefully she's seeing me at my best points. So, you know, it's fun. It's, you know, I, I try to be the best husband. I try to be the best father. I try to be the best friend that I can be. And, you know, as long as I'm doing being the best I can be, everything else is going to fall into, into, uh, into step. Richard, to wrap up this interview, what's a parting piece of advice you want to leave the military veteran dads with? Be humble. Well, three things that I always tell everybody. Be humble. Be teachable. And find good mentors. Those are the top three things that I would find because I, they say that you are the average of the five people you hang out with the most. So if, you know, in my life is when I started getting away from watching TV and watching in the news and listening to podcasts that I actually started, those people became part of my life, like Gary V, Ed Milet. So if you find people that are winning in life, if you listen to it long enough, your brain doesn't know if it's real or if it's not, if they're real friends or not. So if those are part of your five people that in your life, you eventually will become like that. So, you know, just be humble. Like I try to be as humble as I can be. Um, I try to be teachable because every day I, I can learn something new from somebody. That's why I love sitting next to like old men at the VA and just talking to them, you know, because I can always learn from something. And find a good mentor, you know, find somebody in your life that can take you to where you want to be. And even in those moments, you're given the gift of conversation, which I'm sure they, they just happily love. And they'll talk about it a week later that there was that guy that I talked to at the VA. Yeah. Or well, I'm sure you're probably I, famous at the VA now. For the well, people that it's go funny there thing right is now. like 
everywhere we go, somebody knows me, no matter where we go. Like we were, we went, we were on the way to see my mom in Myrtle Beach and there was somebody, we stopped at a restaurant like 700 miles from here and we're walking through and somebody goes, hey, Rich, my wife, like, there's no way somebody knows you from here. And it was the mayor of a town that, that I'm friends with. She's like, how does somebody know you 700 miles away? Or people that, like, when we went to Disney, there were people that actually knew me in Disney. She's like, how does everybody know you? I was like, because I, I take time and I care about people. You know, I was always told that people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Yeah. And th- you, you touched on when you were talking about the average of the five people. When I first found my uh, self-help growth mindset four years ago, Zig Ziglar was the first person that really came into my life. And he pretty much gave me the, or, uh, there was a quote that he said, and it was like my mission, even to this day, that you are where you are because of what has gone in your mind. You can change who you are and change where you are by changing yeah. what goes in your mind, which then just to me, I just went on like this, just trying to change exactly what in my mind with books and leadership and anything I get my hands on. The only problem was I, I went a little too much information, and not enough action with it. I was yeah. absorbing too much stuff and not actually moving my life forward with it. Well, see, I love when Zig, when Zig Ziglar says that you can have anything you want in this world. If you help enough people get what they want. I remember hearing that so many times and it wasn't until like maybe two or three years ago that it actually finally sunk in that of what it actually meant and like what is exam what an example is of just even just like conversation like listen to what someone's saying listen to what they need in their life and see how you can help them and uh, Stephen Kuhn's always talking about of just figuring out what they need and try to help them yep and I want to thank you for for buying the book now I'm going to ask your 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 uh, your people that are listening what I'm asking people to do is to buy 10 ebooks for a total of 9.99 less than it is to go out for lunch keep one copy and give nine out to your closest friends and family because you never know who's struggling with anything in life and 35% of the proceeds are going to a it's called joint task force 22 to 0 that helps raise awareness for uh, first responder suicide so i'm not making any money on the books was i'm losing money but it's just about helping, you know, trying to save more lives. And Richard's book, The Hero's Journey from Darkness to Light, I'll include a link of it in the show notes. And uh, you can go ahead and take that challenge. Richard, it's been an amazing conversation. We dove into some areas that we had not done on the Military Veteran Dad podcast, and I hope to dive into it more with future guests. And hopefully you were just uh, the initial crack into what will be a big cavern of uh, deep conversations of pulling back the, the onion on uh, what it is to be a veteran. Well, thank you so much for, you know, just for taking time out to be, for letting me hang out with you today. It was awesome and pleasure was all mine, Richard. Thank you. brother. Have a great week and God bless you and your family. Thank you. That's a wrap. And thank you for listening to today's show. And I really hope you enjoyed it. The lifeblood of any new podcast are the reviews. If you haven't reviewed the podcast yet on iTunes, I would really appreciate it. And you will help us get the message out to even more military veteran dads. As John Maxwell says, if there is hope in the future, there is power in the present. Dads, it's time to come home.